Well, welcome everybody to the Women's Bible Study. Uh, my name is Alex, and this is my friend Bree, and we're just so honored to uh, week after week be able to lead you, join you in worship wherever you're at. And uh, we're going to do uh, a song that we've written together, and it came out of uh, a time of uh, longing in my life to experience the fullness of God and uh that's through the avenue of prayer. And it's, it's so, uh, so significant that uh, Jesus taught his disciples the very words that they should use to pray. And uh, I don't know how you can get any better than the words of Jesus, but um, this song uh, was meant to be a, a help for me to pray the prayer of Jesus, uh, even when it's difficult for me to do. And uh, so this is uh, coming directly out of Matthew chapter 6. This is called We're Praying. It's from the Lord's Prayer. There we go. Father, holy be thy name. You gave us all the words to say. We thank you. Dear Father, your kingdom come today. We pray that you will have your way. We pray that you will have your way. We're praying.
the chasm that lay between us How high the mountain I could not climb In desperation I turned to heaven And spoke your name into
It's great to be with you. Before we jump into this week's teaching, I want to remind you about something new that we're doing this summer for women called Summer in the Psalms. Summer in the Psalms is really a way for us to be in God's Word together this summer. So we'll have a daily Bible reading plan where we'll be reading through the entire book of Psalms. We'll also have some six-week Summer in the Psalms groups available for anyone who wants to participate. But the thing that we are most excited about is committing together to be in God's Word this summer. So we'll share more details in next week's Women's Bible Study video, but we are excited for all of you that would want to join us and jump in and be in the Psalms together this summer. Well, you guys, one of my favorite things to do with friends and family is to play games. I love board games, and I especially love games that require strategy. Some people who have played games with me might describe me as a little bit competitive, and they might slightly sort of be right. I might like to win games, and if I'm honest, I might win games quite a bit, you guys. But I love games where there's a clear winner, so I'm not really a big fan of the cooperative games where we're all working together and then we all win or we all lose. I do play those games. I have some of them. I play with my kids because it's supposed to be good for them. But if I'm going to play a game, I want to know that I can win. One of my favorite games is Settlers of Catan. It's this amazing strategy game where you're trading and you're building and you're trying to get to 10 points before anyone else does. And inevitably, there's a point in the game where someone feels like they're so far behind that they just can't win. And they'll often say something like, this game is no fun. There's just no way that I can possibly win. And then I'll usually respond by saying something like, no, don't give up. There's always hope. You can still win. And I say that because I believe it. It's how I play the game. No matter how much I'm losing or how far behind I am, there is always the possibility that I could win until I don't. I go into board games hoping that I'll win. And the truth is, sometimes I win and sometimes I lose. But I think we all walk around in life with this sense of hope or this desire that things will go the way we want them to. Maybe you're hoping to get a raise at work or to get a new job entirely. Maybe you're hoping you'll get married or have kids or that the kids you do have will stop fighting with each other. Maybe you're hoping that you'll find new friends or pass an exam you're studying for, that God will heal your marriage or heal a loved one who is sick. 
Whatever it is, we're all hoping for something. But when the Bible talks about hope, it's talking about something different than me hoping I win a game of settlers or wishing that things would go the way I want them to. You see, in most of the ways we typically talk about hope, we're talking about a hope that isn't based on any sort of certainty or confidence. It's more like a wish or something we really want to happen. And we're not sure if it's actually going to happen, but we sure do hope it will. That's not what the Bible means when it talks about hope. The Greek word translated as hope in the Bible means a powerful assurance and certainty of something. Pastor and theologian Tim Keller says that this is a major problem for the reader of the English Bible because the word that means total assurance in Greek means not so sure in English. And there's a big difference between being totally assured of something and not so sure of something. If I'm totally assured of something, I can live with peace. If I'm not so sure of something, I tend to live with less peace and with greater fear and anxiety and worry. Biblical hope isn't just a wish, but it's a confident expectation in God. So what does it look like to be people who hope the way the Bible speaks about hope, to live with assurance and certainty, and is it even possible to have that kind of hope? Today we're going to look at Acts 25 and 26 to see what we can learn about being people who hope. But before we jump in, let's pray. God, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for the book of Acts. God, thank you for every woman who is part of women's Bible study. God, thank you for the opportunity to share and to teach today. And God, I just pray that you would speak through your word, that you would speak through me. And God, I pray that you would encourage and challenge and strengthen each of the women listening and participating. And I pray that you would make us people who hope, women who hope, and that our hope is in you, God. We pray all this in your name, Jesus. Amen. So you guys, today we're going to be looking at Acts 25 and 26, and I want to give us some context for where we're at when these chapters begin. Paul had been arrested, and he was being kept in Roman custody. The Jews had plotted to kill him, so he was sent to the Roman governor, Felix. Felix kept him in prison for two years, and then Felix is replaced by a man named Festus. And that's where we pick up in Acts 25. When the chapter begins, the Jews are again planning a way to kill Paul. Festus orders that Paul be brought before him, and here's their encounter starting in verse 8. Paul said in his defense, I have in no way committed an offense against the law of the Jews or against the temple or against the emperor. But Festus, wishing to do the Jews a favor, asked Paul, do you wish to go up to Jerusalem and be tried there before me on these charges? Paul said, I am appealing to the emperor's tribunal. This is where I should be tried. I have done no wrong to the Jews, as you very well know. Now, if I am in the wrong and have committed something for which I deserve to die, I am not not trying to escape death. But if there is nothing to their charges against me, no one can turn me over to them. I appeal to the emperor. Then Festus, after he had conferred with his counsel, replied, you have appealed to the emperor, to the emperor you will go. So Paul's been in prison for over two years and he hasn't even done anything wrong. Even the political leaders of the day understand this. Festus can see that Paul didn't do anything wrong. He recognizes that what Paul and the Jews were actually arguing over was Jesus. Paul was in prison because he believed that Jesus had risen from the dead. So rather than being tried in Jerusalem, Paul appeals to Caesar and he's able to do that because it's his right as a Roman citizen. 
But before Paul is sent to Rome, there's a king named Agrippa. Agrippa comes and visits Festus and he, and he and Festus talk about what's going on with Paul. Now, Agrippa doesn't really have any authority in the case against Paul, but he wants to hear from Paul. And so the next day, Paul is brought in and here's what Paul says in Acts 26, starting in verse 6. He says, and now I stand here on trial on account of my hope in the promise made by God to our ancestors, a promise that our 12 tribes hope to attain as they earnestly worship day and night. It is for this hope, your excellency, that I am accused by Jews. Why is it thought incredible by any of you that God raises the dead? Paul was on trial because of his hope in a promise made by God. And we can infer from other places in Acts that this promise refers to God's promise of a resurrection of the dead. Earlier in Acts 24 verse 15, Paul said, I have a hope in God, a hope that they themselves also accept that there will be a resurrection of both the righteous and the unrighteous. Paul believed in a future resurrection of the dead because he believed in the resurrection of Jesus. He believed that Jesus was the promised Messiah. He believed that Jesus died on the cross to save us from our sin and that he rose three days later. And because Jesus was raised from the dead, Paul could trust that there would be a resurrection, that he too would be raised from the dead and that as a Christ follower, he would be given eternal life with Jesus. So the first point I want to encourage us with today is this. People who hope place their hope in the promises of God. Paul's hope was in a promise, but what mattered most was the person who made the promise. Paul's hope was in a promise he could trust because it was a promise made by God, our promise maker and promise keeper, our God who has never, could never, and will never go back on his word. God will always do what he promises to do. And because of that, we can put our hope in the promises of God with total assurance and certainty. If we're honest, you guys, it's easy to put our hope in what this world promises instead of what God promises. It's easy to place our hope in a new car or a bigger house or our kids getting into a certain school or the dream of being married or retiring or having enough in our savings account. Oftentimes we place our hope in our circumstances changing. So we think if only this area of my life would change, then everything would be good. It's interesting to note that when Paul was in prison in Acts 25 and 26, he didn't focus on his circumstances changing. We don't hear him saying something like, I hope I get out of here, or I'm so tired of being in prison, I really hope these chains come off soon. Now, I'm not saying that Paul wasn't tired of being in prison or that he didn't want to be released, but it wasn't his focus. It wasn't his ultimate hope. Paul ultimately wasn't focused on his present circumstances changing, but he was focused on a future reality that God had promised him. Where in your own life do you find yourself like Paul in a prison? Maybe it feels like you've been in the same prison for years. Paul was in prison for more than two years. In whatever hardship or challenge you find yourself in, are you placing your hope in your circumstances changing or are you placing your hope in God and in his promises? God never promised that all of our circumstances would change on this side of eternity, but he did promise to be with us and to work all things together for good for those who love him. 
So you might be wondering, does that mean there's no hope for my present circumstances changing? Is there just no possibility for freedom or healing or things in my life being different? Absolutely not. With God, there is hope in every area of our lives, but it's a matter of what we're placing our hope and our confident expectation in. Are we placing our hope in our circumstances changing or are we placing our hope in the God who is powerful enough to change our circumstances by the same power he used to raise Christ from the dead? What would it look like to place our ultimate hope, our confident expectation in God and in the promises of God? What promise in the scriptures can you cling to and place your hope in because you know that God will be faithful to fulfill all of his promises? So the first thing we see in this story is that people who hope place their hope in the promises of God. Second, people who hope don't let suffering make them hopeless. They don't let suffering make them hopeless. Paul was in prison for over two years, but he never gave up hope. He clung to his hope in Jesus and in the resurrection of the dead. I think Paul probably let his times of suffering increase his hope and actually produce hope. In Romans 5, another book of the Bible, Paul says, And not only that, but we also boast in our sufferings knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope. And hope does not disappoint us because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit that has been given to us. I think Paul probably saw this truth play out in his own life. He'd been through suffering. He'd relied on Jesus. And he'd probably seen how his trials and suffering produced endurance and character and hope in his own life. I remember a season in my life that was characterized by suffering. For so long in my 20s and early 30s, I longed to be married. And it just wasn't happening for me. I was single for so much longer than I had ever wanted to be. I experienced heartbreak. I saw relationships end that I thought were leading toward marriage. After one really rough breakup, I went into a depression and I remember feeling so hopeless for my future. But thanks to the consistency of good friends who believed for me and the gift of counseling and medication and the work of God in my life, that season of suffering produced endurance and character and hope. And it wasn't just a hope that I'd be married, though I did have greater hope that that could happen. But it was a hope that said, no matter whether or not I ever get married, I am gonna be okay, I'm gonna keep following Jesus and trusting him. Where are you presently suffering? And is that area of suffering producing more hope in you or is it moving you away from God? How can you lean into God and his word in the midst of your suffering to allow him to give you greater hope, for him to produce hope in you? People who hope don't let suffering make them hopeless. Third, people who hope know that no one is beyond hope. No one is beyond hope. The hope we have in Christ is available to anyone and everyone who would choose it. And Paul is a prime example of this. When Paul's defending himself in front of King Agrippa, he shares his own testimony of his life before Christ, his encounter with Christ and his life after Christ. And when we read about Paul's life before Christ, it's a reminder that no matter what you've done or where you've been, the good news of Jesus is available to you. Here's what Paul says about himself and what he says about his life before Christ in Acts 26, starting in verse nine. 
I myself was convinced that I ought to do many things in opposing the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And I did so in Jerusalem. I not only locked up many of the saints in prison after receiving authority from the chief priests, but when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. And I punished them often in all the synagogues and tried to make them blaspheme and in raging fury against them, I persecuted them even to foreign cities. So that's some of what Paul tells us about his life before Christ. Paul persecuted Christians. You might remember reading about a man named Stephen much earlier in our study in Acts. Stephen is the first Christian martyr we're told about in Acts and he was killed for his faith in Jesus. During Stephen's killing, Paul was present. He was there and at that time, Paul was called Saul. And Acts tells us that after Stephen died, Saul approved of their killing him. And then Saul went on to persecute the church. Saul literally persecuted the people of God. He had people killed for their faith in Jesus. He had people killed because of their belief and hope in the resurrection. But even Saul wasn't beyond the hope of God. God's great love and mercy and grace was available to a man like Saul and it's available to you and me today as well. No matter what you've done, what you've said, where you've been or who you've been, there is hope for you today in Jesus Christ. If you have never placed your faith in Christ, if you aren't living with the hope and assurance that only comes from life with Jesus, then I want you to hear that as long as you have breath, there is hope available to you in Christ. You can say yes to Jesus. And in just a few minutes, I'm gonna give you a chance to do that if you've never said yes to Christ, but you are ready to today. And if you have said yes to Jesus, if you're following him, how can you be encouraged by the truth that no one is beyond hope? Is there any way, if you're honest, you might be feeling like, hey, maybe I am beyond hope. Maybe I'm beyond the hope of God. And you just need to be reminded that there is always hope for you in Jesus. Paul hoped and confidently expected that death would not be the end of his story, just as it was not the end of Jesus' story. Paul knew that because of Jesus' death and resurrection, he too would be resurrected and given eternal life with Jesus. God promised to bless the nations and he did that through Jesus. God, God promised that forgiveness of sins would come through the Messiah and he did that through Jesus. And God promised that all who believe in Jesus will be raised to new life and he will keep his word and do that through Jesus Christ. Death would not be the end of Paul's story and it will not be the end of the story for anyone who has placed their faith in Jesus. Paul hoped and he trusted in that promise and so can we. So people who hope know that no one is beyond hope. And then fourth, and finally, people who hope don't keep that hope to themselves. People who hope share their hope with others because they know it's too good not to. People who hope know what it is to be hopeless and what it is to be hopeful. And they desire for every person who is lost and without hope to find Jesus. When Paul is speaking to King Agrippa, Festus tells Paul that he's out of his mind. And here's how Paul responds, starting in Acts 26, 25. But Paul said, I am not out of my mind, most, most excellent Festus, but I am speaking true and rational words. For the king knows about these things and to him I speak boldly. For I am persuaded that none of these things has escaped his notice, for this has not been done in a corner. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know that you believe. 
And Agrippa said to Paul, in a short time, would you persuade me to be a Christian? And Paul said, whether short or long, I would to God that not only you, but also all who hear me this day might become such as I am, except for these chains. I love how these verses we just read end. Paul is basically trying to convince King Agrippa to become a Christian. Paul doesn't keep his hope in Christ to himself, but he shares it with others. He wants everyone who doesn't know Christ, including King Agrippa, to come to a saving faith in Jesus. Paul doesn't keep his hope to himself and neither should we. People who hope share their hope with others. People who hope are witnesses to hope. If your hope is in Jesus, how can you share that hope with others? How can you help people to put their hope in Christ and in the promises of God? As we close, I wanna give us a few ways to respond. First, I wanna speak to anyone who's listening or participating and who has not yet placed your trust and your hope in Jesus. Maybe you've been putting your hope in the things this world offers, but you keep getting disappointed and you're tired. There is a hope that will not disappoint you and that hope is only found in Jesus Christ. The gospel and the good news of the Bible tells us that we are all sinners and the penalty for our sin is death, but Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sin and he rose three days later to new life and everyone who places their faith in Jesus will receive forgiveness for their sins and the gift of eternal life with God. If you wanna live with this hope that never disappoints, you can say yes to Jesus as your Lord and Savior right now. Wherever you're at, you can pray this prayer and I invite you to pray aloud and you can repeat this prayer after me. You can just say, God, I confess that I am a sinner in need of a savior. Please forgive me for my sin. I believe that Jesus died on the cross for my sin and that he rose three days later. I believe in Jesus as my Lord and savior and I commit to following you all the days of my life. And if you prayed that prayer, we are so excited for your decision. We wanna celebrate with you your new life in Christ. So would you let us know by emailing us at the email listed on the screen? And if you send us an email, I would love to personally follow up with you. And ladies, I also wanna say if you at any point have given your life to Christ throughout this last year or this last few sessions of Women's Bible City, please reach out, email, and let us know that we can, so that we can celebrate with you and partner with you in your journey as you are following Jesus. And then if you're listening and you have given your life to Jesus and you're following him, I want to give us a few ways to respond and to grow in our ability to be people who hope. Maybe you've been putting your hope in something other than God and you need to confess whatever else it is that you've been placing your hope in and you need to commit today to placing your ultimate hope in God alone and in his promises. Or maybe you're in a season of suffering or a trial or you're struggling and you are struggling to feel hopeful. And please hear me say, if that's you, I am so sorry for your suffering or your trial or your struggle, whatever it is that you're experiencing that feels so hard. But maybe the invitation is to lean into God in new ways and to ask him to increase your hope and to use this present season of suffering to produce hope. Or maybe, maybe there's someone in your life that you've just given up hope for. There's someone or a few someones, and if you're honest, it just doesn't feel like anything's gonna change. And you need to be reminded of the truth that none of us, absolutely none of us are beyond the hope of Christ. Ask God to give you hope for what he can do in that person's life.
And then finally, maybe you've been keeping your hope in Christ to yourself and you need to step out and be intentional about sharing the good news of Jesus with others. Who in your life is in need of the hope that only Christ can offer? And how can you begin sharing that hope with them? You guys, I wanna give us a moment to pray and I just wanna create a moment to be silent. And I invite you to just pray and ask God. I just gave us a few ways we might be able to respond, but just ask the Lord and say, God, how do you want me to respond today? What are you inviting me to do? How can I grow as a woman, as a person who hopes? So take a moment, pray, sit with the Lord, and then I'll close us in prayer. Lord God, thank you for the hope we have in you. God, thank you that you offer us hope, that your hope is available to all of us, that none of us are beyond your hope. Thank you that we can place our ultimate hope in you and that placing our hope in you will never lead to disappointment. Thank you that we can place our hope in you and your promises and your word. God, I pray that you would make us women who hope. Forgive us for any of the ways that we have hoped in anyone but you or in anything this world offers and help us to be women who place our ultimate and total hope in you, Jesus Christ. And God, I wanna thank you for anyone and everyone who's given their life to you for the first time this past year or in one of our recent women's Bible study sessions or even today. Lord, strengthen their faith, build their faith, grow them in their walk with you and use them for your kingdom purposes, Lord. We love you. God, send us out today with greater hope because of you and all you've done for us. We love you. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Thanks, ladies. It's so great to be with you. See you next week.